Today's guest is Dr. Gary Forsman. You guys are going to love this guy. So Dr. Forsman was an intro from L. Russ. L is my co-host of the Kick-Ass Life podcast. Hopefully you guys have found that and are listening to me there. So L is the host of Mark Sisson's Primal Blueprint podcast. So we both have podcasts where we interview other experts, but Kick-Ass Life is all about us sharing our voice about optimizing your life, uh, mindset, getting rid of limiting beliefs, just how to optimize on every level. So if you're into that kind of thing, make sure you join me over there with Elle. It's a lot of fun. But she was like, you've got to talk to Dr. Forsman. So she consulted with him on her book, The Paleo Thyroid Solution. So like the last 60 pages of that book are from Dr. Forsman. And he's such a cool guy. So he's an internal medicine doctor. Um, he's one of the top in the nation. And he also has included a wide variety of Western medicine practices into his therapy. So he has so many integrative therapies and really just gets down to like, okay, that's not working. So let's just actually talk about what is. So you guys are going to love how no nonsense he is. He's probably one of the most likable guys that I've interviewed. And he has so much applicable information. We're talking about, we got into thyroid, of course, because I wanted to know more about that. So if you have thyroid stuff, you'll really enjoy that. He's also talking about just nutrition, gut health, how to optimize from the inside out. So this is like, if you like inside out health, this is definitely an inside out health podcast. So I think you guys will really enjoy this. I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. Enjoy. This is going to be a treat for you. This is Dr. Gary Forsman. Hey, how are you? Hi, Tara. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thanks so much for doing this. I actually wanted, I was wondering, I mean, I know you have this integrated approach between Western medicine and then mm -hmm. more of the holistic approach. Like, where are you at with that? Like what, how did that happen? And you know, how much of more of like, I don't know, do you, do you integrate Chinese medicine or like what's, what's your approach there? You know, I've, tr I've trained in a whole lot of things at some point, you know, the, you know, Andy Weil is a guy who coined the term integrative medicine really. Yeah. And so, and he, um, and because everybody was saying alternative and complementary when it really was just medicine and, and we want to get <laughs> yeah. those terms because they're almost pejorative, you know? And so yeah. it's like, no, this is just medicine actually. And Western medicine is that tiny piece that, you know, thank heaven it's there if all these other things fail. But of course, you know, most Western doctors, it's drugs first, right? You know, and, yeah. and that's what you always try to describe to people is if you walk into a doctor's office, you're asking for a drug, whether you think you do or not. That's actually what you're asking for. Just like, you know, like you were asking about Chinese medicine. You walk into an acupuncturist's office, you pretty much are asking for needles. I mean, True. You, you, <laughs> you'd be kind of surprised, like, no needles today? Uh, what's up? You know, and, you know, and so it's uh, right. so the same thing I try to get across to people is, is you're, so don't be disappointed in these doctors when, when they give you drugs, because it's all they know. There are prescriptionists yeah. on the most part. And so, so a Western doctor is a prescription. Now we all know it shouldn't be that way, but you know we all and we all know we shouldn't. You shouldn't. Um, and sorry, um, right. but uh, but you know <laughs> it's very clear when you go through. I mean, very briefly, my story was that you know I went through all my you know very intense uh, you know you know uh, and. I was this junior on his medical program and I was going to do an MD PhD, but I really didn't like the PhD program. So I just stuck with the MD and, you know, I did my internal medicine residency because that's where the smart doctors went. At least that's what I thought, you know? And so, uh, you know, residency can be pretty tough. You're up. It's, it's a lot of work. I'm just going to say that, you know? And so, mm -hmm. and you go through all that and then it does, if you start practicing medicine, it doesn't take you very long to realize, damn, I don't need enough to really treat these people. <laughs> 
And I don't think most, that's a, it's a simple aha moment, which is, mm. wow, I really got to learn more stuff than this because you know, actually, if you just read that the drugs we use are dangerous. And so I have very simply, I had this uh, one lady who I took on into this new practice that was at the University of California, Irvine. I was a assistant clinical professor there. And it was back when naproxen was a prescription drug. Okay. So now of course, and when I tell you the story, of course, Naperson's now over the counter, okay, and people can kill themselves all on their own without me. But, but I would just continue this medicine, Naperson, for her fibromyalgia condition, and she nearly died of a GI bleed, okay? So, and I felt horrible, okay? She mm-hmm. lived, okay? And I felt horrible. But here's the aha moment is when I was in the ICU and I was so distraught, a lot of my, the mentors that knew me came by and said, Gary, you didn't do anything wrong. And I was so mad because I had done everything wrong, you know, and I was more mad at the response from the doctors because I wasn't Mm. worried about legal liability. Everybody else seems to be. Uh, That wasn't my issue. I felt like, man, I almost killed this woman with a medicine that cannot cure her condition, you know, and I hadn't done anything wrong based on the Western medical perspective because I was giving the same drug everybody else was, right? And of course, now this drug is available over the counter, (laughs) you know, crazy. Um, um, and so, and so once you nearly kill someone with the medicine, you should have an aha moment that says, wow, I, I got to come up with something else because yeah. I clearly know that this drug has really nothing to do with the condition I was treating fibromyalgia at the time. So you better understand what you're treating better because what you've been taught doesn't work. And then yeah. at the very same time, Premarin and Prevera was being given to every single woman. So I was taught, I was taught gynecologist, you know, menopause was so easy, even a gynecologist can understand it. All right. That's a, a little reference to gynecologist. Doctor, not, Dr. Not, not, not exactly being that bright is the basic message there. But, um, and basically, because if a woman went to menopause, every single woman got Premarin, right? Every single one. If she had a uterus, she got Prevera. If she didn't, she didn't get Provera. See, even a gynecologist can understand that. Wow. Um, and, and that's how easy. So that's about what I learned about menopause. Okay. It was about that. Okay. Wow. I mean, you know, and so, um, and none of that was right. So as I joke with people and you learn about standard of care, it's like every single time, once you learn standard of care, at least you should know what not to do. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and because wow. when you looked at it, and this is another great understanding, Premarin, as you know, is pregnant mirror urine, right? And then you, mm. that's how it got its name, pregnant mm. mirror urine. So it's conjugated equine estrogens. It's like, why am I giving horse piss to women in menopause? I mean, it should at least occur to you to think about it, right? Right. Um, <laughs> but she has menopause, let's give her horse piss. Hmm, that's not the first thing <laughs> I thought of, you know? I mean, <laughs> right, right. And so, Went straight to horse piss, did we? Okay. Um, <laughs> by the way, there's some pretty powerful estrogens in there, which can help with menopausal symptoms, of course. So you look into why am I prescribing that instead of this estradiol and estrone and you know the woman's estrogens? And the answer is you can't. Um, the answer is, of course, you can't um, um, turn those into a pharmaceutical. You can only use something that else that you can take out out because this was found in nature. And so I'm using horse piss so I can make give some uh, pharmaceutical industry more money. And they'll go, now that's really a bit of a pisser. Um, and why aren't we using natural progesterone? Because again, it's natural. So we got to use a synthetic. And that synthetic had the exact opposite effect in every... So for instance, natural progesterone... Can literally actually acts as an anti-cancer agent in the breast, okay, where the synthetic progestin that I was prescribing, okay, actually induces breast cancer in, in, in uh, models using the breast tissue. So 
long before anybody said permanent Provera was the right thing. It took me about two months to figure out, damn, I shouldn't be prescribing these things anymore. You know, and then, you know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of that Santa Claus moment when you realize Santa Claus isn't really new. Oh my God, it's the Easter bunny. It's everything, you know. Um, <laughs> my whole life is a lie. Oh my, it's a lie, exactly. So it's, you know, Naproxen is wrong and permanent prayer is wrong. It's all wrong, damn it. You know, it's, it was my, so seriously, it's like that moment my, my brother told me about Santa Claus. Like, right. Seriously, you know, it's like, you, oh my God. It's all, you know, and so (laughs) it's like a faith crisis. It's it's a similar. Exactly. And you would think every single doctor would go through this just by practicing medicine, by the way, you know, and so, but I don't know, it doesn't seem to be that common, actually. Mm. So it takes you, you have this great training in pharmacology and pharmacotherapeutics, pathophysiology. So remember, there's a lot of good parts of a medical education, okay, but there's a lot of indoctrination. And so they're all indoctrinated, okay, Mm. and so. Um, and unfortunately, it's like uh, you probably find within these uh, nutrition systems, they become belief systems and, and belief system. People who have a belief system can become zealots. Okay. And yeah. so um, zealotry is a problem out there everywhere, right? Yes. Um, so the Western doctor is a zealot about its, his form, his or hers form of uh, practice. And unfortunately, since they're the most powerful um, uh, uh, model, they kind of poo poo everybody else, which is, you know, uh, kind of typical for marketing, right? You know, you want a bigger business share, you poo-poo what everybody else does. Mm-hmm. And so, so it became very clear that, you know, wow, then, what, you know, Chinese traditional medicine, been around for a few thousand years and, you know, some, some pretty bright people are doing this. I probably should look into that one. So of course I've looked into it. Um, Ayurvedic medicine, uh, I was lucky at the very same time in Orange County, you know, Deepak ran into his trouble with the TM movement and he came into San Diego right at the time I'm having some of these crises. He had written quantum really? healing at that point. Yeah. So, cool. so I went down before he even had the Chopra Center. He had the sharp healing for mind-body medicine. I was like in the first classes with him down there. Oh, cool. Um, so I spent a lot of time with Deepak in the, you know, early 90s, basically you know and so uh and so you know of course that shaped a lot of my views about things uh still love deepak i haven't spent any time with him in a long time but you know we all have teachers in our life that kind of we go through so so ayurvedic medicine i i hooked you know hooked up with some chiropractors and other things and you know learned what they were doing and it was just because i love medicine and you know Mm -hmm. i just you know eventually you kind of looked at i took reiki classes massage therapy classes i mean you know uh, all the rest of it i've you know, had spent a lot of time from shamans to, to, nice. to witches to whatever yeah. else. Okay. So, um, you know, um, <laughs> cool. Uh, I, you know, so because everybody's got a little piece of this puzzle, you know, and that's where right. integrative medicine is, is you really got to realize everybody's got some piece of this whole puzzle and, right. and, and you personally have to focus on what you do best. Right. So that's why I tell people, I, you know, I'm not the person to go to for crystal healing or for, you know, chakra balancing, whatever else, but these people can do that, you know, because that's, you know, not what I'm best at because I should train more at doing that. If I say I'm a chakra balancer. Um, yeah. and so, so anyway, so yeah. But, it's but what's, of, what's cool is like, you're, you're just expanding the tools in your tool belt. You're just like, that way, when this person comes, you're like, you know what? Actually, yes. I feel like chakra. You might want to check out chakra balancing because you got a lot of emotional trauma going on. 
Absolutely. And so it, I use that term all the time, by the way. So my job as a doctor is to expand your toolbox. Okay. Because yeah. you know, if you, I always, if you've never heard of a hammer, they're really cool. You should keep yeah. one around, but you really shouldn't be running around with it until you need it. So put it back when you're done. And so, so all right. these tools and most people are, have a very limited toolbox, which is exactly the, the term I use, you know, yeah. um, yeah. once I'm accidentally said, you know, to somebody, it's like, like I use this with a circular saw. I love my circular saw, but it can't cause problems. And, and it was a new patient. He pulled up his hand and he was missing two fingers that had been cut off by a circular saw. Oops. <laughs> I, this is a, I said, you should read your audience a little bit better, huh? And he goes, yeah. You're like, he goes, hey, case in point. That's what I'm but saying. I did, but I did say, that's kind of what I'm talking about. You know? um, so so yeah. expand your tools, but don't go running around with circular saws too many times, you know, unless you really need them. Um, but that's kind of medicine. We have this circular saw kind of medicine, which is cuts through things, but it can be really dangerous. And so, so med, middle path medicine came out. I was always saying natural medicine says this, Western medicine says this, the truth is always in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like, so I, I specialize in keto. I'll throw as an example, like I specialize in keto, but there's been many times where somebody's experienced with keto. I'm like, wow. Like she developed like a horrible relationship with food because of this. She's like afraid of yes. carbs and like, it oh. didn't go well. And so then I'm like, right. I want a pendulum swing and be like, no, mm. keto is not the answer. Not the and that's answer. like too far extreme because then that's somebody else. I changed their life. They're like, this is the most amazing thing that I have ever found. Thank you so much. And so right. that's why it's, it's about what's working and not working. And that's when you have anything from chakra healing to right. you need force massage to uh, Ayurveda to Western medicine. Now you can really help somebody. Exactly. And so, yes, so I actually, because you do enough preparation because, you know, because the average primary care doctor doesn't seem to know a damn thing. Sorry, I'm now I'm, I'm, I'm right in alignment with Lil, uh, with L right now, but they seem to refer out everything. Okay. You know, so yeah. you see to a, a local kind of your primary care doctor. It's like, if you have a cold, sure, I'll help you with that. Oh, you, you got, you got the burps. Oh, you should see a gastroenterologist. I was like, come on, you know, can't you do anything, you know? And so, so, right. but you know, that you do have to be careful about, you know, you know, being too confusing because most people, True. they think you're just going to give them Prilosec or something like that. And mm -hmm. they get a little confused when you don't do that because I have the MD behind my, my name, you know? Right. And so, um, so it's, uh, for some people, they're already there. Other people, you just have to meet them, have to know your audience, have to meet them where they're at, you know? Yeah. And so, um, and, yeah, and take point. them along, you know? And so, um, you know, many of the people get referred from L. Most of them actually know, you know, paleo pretty well. Again, I, I saw a lady to last week, and she didn't understand paleo at all. It's like, all right, we gotta dial it back. I thought our conversation was gonna be here. We better start down here, okay? You right. Know? Um, and so, uh, and so, anyways, but uh, it's good to have a lot of tools in the toolbox. Yeah. You know, that's that makes your job so much easier as a doctor because you just you're never nervous about what you see because you know enough to treat them at least in some way. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Right. Yeah. I, I love your approach already. Um, right. and how, how did L, how did L find you? Uh, it was something called primal docs or something and, okay. and how they knew about me. I don't know. I, I, some, I'm guessing somebody in my office signed me up for it or something. And, and, yeah. and, uh, and I, and she goes, I found you through primal dogs. And I was like, who are they? Okay. <laughs> and, and, and she says, you're one of them. Okay, cool. Okay. Cause I was recommending, you know, primal and paleo at the time, but I didn't know I was a primal doc per se, but Sure enough, I was. Um, oh, wow. So anyway, she found me through that and she drove up. She's from LA and she, we met uh, kind of in between and we just talked for a while and we hit it off and we've been friends ever since. So 
Oh, right on. Okay, cool. All right, let's All right. let's uh, let's dive in. Yeah, let's dive into sure. let's dive into the thri- thyroid um, because like sure. like it's something like the last sixty pages of Elle's book are w- from you, right? Correct. So, and I know that yeah, and I'll drop that's the Paleo Thyroid Solution by Elle Russ is what we're talking about, and this, right. you're you know I guess how does she put it? You do the commentary or you referred on a, on this book. It's a, a published interview. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. That's kind of the way I just call it a published interview. You know, yeah. Okay, cool. So like, I mean, because in the paleo keto world that I find myself in, there's so many people with thyroid issues and mm-hmm. it is, there's so much confusion, so much, like it's ridiculous. And I, you know, even as a, as a health coach, it's, it's been difficult for me sometimes because I'll look at the, the tests, the labs that somebody's gotten mm-hmm. in regards to their thyroid. And I'm like, what, how are you supposed to know anything by that test? So that's my first question is like, if somebody has thyroid issues like what tests do they absolutely need to have to be able to tell anything and why right right uh, well you know actually l did a great job of this you know she does. So re, you know going over that part of things so yeah. you know the, the the i see people still and this really echoes and reaffirms what she what her experience is because one of the things you bring up with that that was kind of beautiful was that the person who lives through this no could probably knows it better than the doctor sometimes because yeah. they had to figure this out and, you know, so the standard Western doctor sometimes measures the TSH only. TSH right. is the thyroid stimulating hormone. It's, and it's, again, not even a, a thyroid hormone. It's, it's right. a pituitary hormone that, you know, gives you a gauge of, of the thyroid. It's obviously not a useless test. It has been, it was the very first thyroid test that ever existed. Mm. And so before then you had to diagnose it sort of clinically because there wasn't a blood test. So yeah, who TSH? Mm. I mean, you don't want to you know, poo-poo it too much because it was the first test available. And then the mm-hmm. T4 came and then this T3 uptake came and then the free T4. And the whole point is back when I started learning about this, I had a 486 computer, which had, was great. I loved that 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 guy. Um, I have to admit, the, the phone we're talking on today is more advanced than that. And so, yeah. so yes, the TSH was wonderful. Like that computer was wonderful at the time. It was, it was a joy, you know, nothing like what we have today. And so I don't understand why doctors don't continue to order different, more tests. And yeah. it goes back to like, we were talking about how I think sometimes the doctors are taught so simplistically, the TSH is all that matters because we want everybody mainly on, um, being pushed from big pharma to only prescribe Synthroid. And if you mm-hmm. only prescribe Synthroid, supposedly, it's not true. Supposedly, the only thing that matters is the TSH, okay? Mm-hmm. And the TSH has value, okay? It's very important to understand. But the for any doctor to understand your thyroid, they have to measure the TSH, the free T4. Free just means unbound thyroid hormone. It's the T4. Think of T4 as the reserve hormone. And I always compare it to like money in the bank. It's good to have money in the bank. T4 does very little on its own, but you make T3 from it. So very important to understand T4. T3, free T3 specifically, is the unbound active thyroid hormone. Very important hormone. The, the confusion from the Western doctors and the confusion for the patients to understand why the doctors don't uh, order the hormone is T3 does change more throughout the day. It is not as clearly a steady state value as TSH and free T4. However, it is the most important thyroid hormone. Okay, um, And even though it fluctuates some, that's why you have to understand. Might even have to order it a few more times to get a full understanding, but it doesn't mean not to order it. And then comes the biggie, the the make or break hormone, the reverse T3, which uh, somehow it's like bringing up 
I don't know, coronavirus or Vietnam. It's like it'll cause a war out there or something. You know, it's, it's, it's just a test. I mean, you know, come on, folks. Let's not get too excited about it. It can change fairly rapidly as two. Reverse T3 is when the T4 gets converted into the metabolically inactive version of T4 known as reverse T3. Um, it is not really an antithyroid hormone, but it does block the T3 receptor, keeping T3 from functioning. Okay, so it's a super important hormone because over a course of time, what's happened is that, and I think it's primarily because of stress, because of so many toxins in the environment, the BPAs, the BPS, all the chemicals and fragrances and all those things dramatically affect the ability of this T4 to T3 to occur, conversion to occur intracellularly in the, in the liver, in the kidneys where these things happen, okay, um, so that the the free T3 and the reverse T3 now are absolutely by far the most important thyroid tests and the doctors don't measure them. Okay. Wow. It's, and it's astounding because you pick up on most of the thyroid dysfunction and you have to discuss a doctor won't legitimately think hypothyroid exists unless the TSH is elevating. So everybody who doesn't understand TSH, the, the pituitary is talking to the thyroid. If it doesn't hear enough thyroid, that it starts to shout, if you will, the TSH goes up. Okay, so when the TSH is elevated, you have hypothyroidism, which means low thyroid. If it really drops down, you are hyperthyroid, meaning excess thyroid. Okay, now caveat to that is it changes once we start prescribing thyroid hormones. So once you start prescribing thyroid hormones, the reference ranges, the levels we use all change. Okay, it's really important to understand that too. And that's another thing I don't know why the doctors don't seem to understand. So, um, and this might be a good point to bring up when the doctor prescribes T3, because T3 has a fast half-life in and out of the body in four hours. If you use a sustained release T3 in and out of the body in up maybe eight to 12 hours. So it goes up and down. The peak is higher. The peak T3 will lead to a higher suppression of the TSH, okay? And this is very important for everybody here. If you're prescribing T4 only, okay, the TSH is a very useful test and you don't want to suppress it too much. However, if you're prescribing T3 because of the fast metabolism, to get adequate thyroid hormone levels, you almost always suppress the TSH, okay? Meaning the TSH right. is going to be low in almost everybody where you use desiccated thyroid, yeah. immediate release T3, sustained release T3. But in the early screening interval, you'd want to get those four hormones. And of course, TPO antibodies, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, thyroid globulin antibodies. Um, I actually am getting to the point where I'm actually measuring the TSI, the thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin um, antibody, which is the hyperthyroid antibody as mm. well, because I do see cases of mixed hypo and hyperthyroidism, which is really difficult to treat. Okay? And I want to be clear, I've, I've had patients of mine who have this, who've been told by endocrinologists that doesn't exist. And once yeah. again, I have the test to prove that it exists. Okay. Wow. Um, and so they are tough to treat. So I, I, I recommend somebody like me to treat somebody like that. Um, yeah. um, but uh, so if you have something like that, you better see somebody who knows these things. But um, so why do you measure thyroid antibodies? And man, it's such an important thing, everybody. Being autoimmune is not a good thing, okay? Mm -hmm. so, so a typical endocrinologist will tell you, well, we, let's say they did measure it once, okay? And you were positive for Hashimoto's, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and so Hashimoto's, Hashimoto is the doctor who named autoimmune thyroid disease based on these antibodies, by the way. So mm -hmm. autoimmune thyroiditis in Hashimoto's is primarily used interchangeably, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and so and they, you, I saw patients seriously just this week 
Okay. Where she didn't even know that she had Hashimoto's because she didn't quite understand the doctor that she had the thyroid antibodies. Okay. Um, but she wasn't hypothyroid yet. So she was told she didn't, the doctor didn't clearly communicate with her. Let's put it mm -hmm. this way. Okay. Where she didn't understand that she really did have Hashimoto's, even though she wasn't low thyroid yet. And I went, it's great because you have these thyroid antibodies and if we can get rid of them, you'll never become hypothyroid. So even though we missed about five years from the original labs, we still have a chance to treat her and have her never become hypothyroid. But the, the, the real message that I'm sure the doctor said is, well, you're not hypothyroid yet. We don't need to measure these antibodies. Eventually you'll become hypothyroid. So we'll just measure your tests every year. And when you become hypothyroid, <laughs> we'll put you on We'll put you on thyroid hormone. And that was, that I know. Wow. Meant, okay. Um, oh. And so, um, and it's like, wow, because <sighs> based in that model, there's no way to treat hypothyroidism. Okay. Right. I'm sorry. No way to treat autoimmune thyroid. There's yeah. No way to Hashimoto's. Therefore, you're just, and the, the Western mindset was, well, they're just going to knock off their thyroid and we'll put them on Synthroid and everybody lives happily ever after. And, and wow, what a mess up that is. Because, <laughs> it's like, let's just yeah. wait for it to break. It's, exactly. it's not broken yet, but it will be. So we'll just wait for that. And having, this is, I want everybody to hear this and I'm not trying to be scary. Thyroid peroxidase antibodies, high autoimmunity associated with higher risk of cardiovascular disease, specifically coronary artery disease. Thyroglobulin antibodies are associated with higher risks of things like breast cancer. So mm -hmm. being autoimmune is not a good thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I know that should be obvious, everybody, but um, and this kind of goes into Western medicine, which is the almost all autoimmune diseases are not well understood. And mm -hmm. on right. and I'll be very clear with everybody, and this is going to sound negative, but it's true. There's no motivation to cure them. There's only motivation to put you on drugs that kind of muck up the inflammation, make you feel a little bit better so we can give you a drug for the rest of your life. So there is very little research into why lupus exists and why rheumatoid arthritis right. exists because that's what we should be looking for, okay? And right. often the answer is in the diet, not always, okay? So be clear, it's confusing to people. The only autoimmune disease we understand is known as celiac disease. Celiac disease is a disease where you, when you eat gluten, the classic gluten, barley, rye, and wheat, um, you, don't, you don't attack gluten. And this is an interesting thing that people don't seem to understand. You're not attacking the gluten. When you eat that, you attack yourself, okay? And here's the beauty. And the only autoimmune disease we understand, if you take away the, the gluten, you stop attacking yourself, okay? Meaning you take... Because what we're taught is as long as you have this thyroid, you're just going to attack it until it's dead, you know? Right. And that cannot be true based upon our understanding of autoimmune disease. If you take away the trigger, you stop attacking yourself, okay? Mm. So it's really important to try to find that trigger, even though it's not as easy as for celiac disease, which is the only autoimmune disease we understand. Because you take away the gluten, the person no longer has celiac disease. Now, they will always develop celiac disease again if they eat gluten. Okay. So there's, so it's such a profound understanding. So when we yeah. talk about the thyroid autoimmune disease, the idea that you don't keep measuring the, the, the antibodies and figuring out, you know, what things you're doing to change these antibodies, treating nutritional deficiencies. I recommend primarily paleo diet for this paleo and keto fits right into that. But I'll be honest with most in an MD's practice, getting people to even, because everybody I see, no matter what the autoimmune disease is, the ulcerative colitis and the Crohn's for the GI tract, these autoimmune thyroid disease, the people have been told usually for decades that diet doesn't matter. Okay. So I'm giving them a completely different message that 
oh no, it's extraordinarily important. Awesome. But it's, it's like you're fighting the entire known universe though. And yeah. I'm, I'm uh, you know, the Don Quixote and I'm tilting at windmills almost. Totally. Because the entire institution is working against us. So, um, so because you tell them that, and of course they go out and then they go on to WebMD who says it's completely meaningless, you know? Right, right. Why would they listen to this podunk doctor from Arroyo Grande, California, um, when WebMD says something, <laughs> okay, you know? And so, uh, wow. or that my Stanford doctor, uh, Stanford is the big thing out here on the West Coast, folks, um, you know, you could say Harvard's, but my Stanford doctor is a thing in the area, didn't say that was important. And that's just because right. they don't understand it, you know? And so. Right. Wow. So, so you measure these, I know I'm going on, but you know, but the, but mm-hmm. these two antibodies, TPO and TGA antibodies are the most important. TSI can be important anyways. Okay. Thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin. And of course you measure the thyroid functions, but this last lady is a great example of someone who has Hashimoto's, the autoantibodies, but her actual thyroid functions were pretty darn good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a lot of other imbalances and reasons to get rid of the antibodies, but she's a as almost like a young kid, but she's in her twenties, but she's a young lady. Um, and so, you know, I'm old enough now where 20 year olds seem like they're kids. So yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, Cause I have two sons are like, you know, 27 to 28. So, and they're still my kids, you know, right. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Everybody actually I have a two year old at home too. Um, but, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> keep you busy. It does keep me busy. Yeah, exactly. It makes you wonder why should we listen to Gary? He has a two year old at home. Um, <laughs> I don't what's wrong with him anyways? Um, <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious going back to what you were talking about, about, you know, the comparison to gluten being the trigger for celiac, like what are some of the common triggers you found for Hashimoto's? So great. That's exactly where we should head. So, so think of autoimmune disease as a, an imbalance in the body of excess immunity. Okay. So classically, we think of autoimmune disease as excess immunity versus the self. Allergic disease is excess immunity to the environment. Okay. Um, and so there, and and same thing goes, even things like cancer, which is under immunity versus the self, okay? Mm-hmm. These are all imbalances of immune system function, which means it's a very complicated issue, okay? I just right. want to make sure everybody hears that. <laughs> um, it's just not easy, okay? Now, I love easy, okay? So I want to make sure everybody hears that. Easy is good, okay? Um, and on occasion, you do get people to just eliminate gluten and gluten only, and actually their thyroid antibodies are eliminated. It does happen. And now I'm very, very convinced that that's not true for everybody because in this autoimmune disease, there's different triggers in different people, okay? And so, for instance, the lady that I was just talking about with the thyroid antibodies, not yet hypothyroid, it was a very stressful time in her life and poof, she became, she developed a swelling in her thyroid and they measured these tests and sure enough, she had acute thyroiditis. I'm sure she actually developed acute Hashimoto's thyroiditis five years ago. Okay, um, under a very stressful time in our life, and I think stress mm-hmm. was the primary precipitant. Actually, okay, I have found um, huge correlations just in working with people on that. And absolutely, so is stress one of the triggers and one of the things that keeps it going on unequivocally? Everybody, okay, um, and so. Now, um, then we institute, and as most people know, there's autoimmune protocol diets. There's many, many types of systems out there. But the, the reason I like paleo slash primal so much is uh, glutens and starchy legumes absolutely are 
two of the most prominent triggers for autoimmune thyroid disease. I actually think about two thirds of people with Hashimoto's have an issue with those, with, with something, one of those. Okay. And so the first thing I tell people is please do a paleo diet. The vast majority of the times, I think the trigger really is a grain of some kind. Okay. And so, and I have had patients in my practice where it's been gluten. I've had it be quinoa. And I've had to be anywhere wow. in between. And wow. so I've had to be corn. I've had to be oats. So, and how did I know that? Because I've had been doing this long enough where there's always somebody who, just like the guy with the quinoa, he wouldn't give up quinoa. Now, who won't give up quinoa? I mean, seriously. I mean, yeah. So for years, he has thyroid antibodies in the 3000s, okay? And, and he won't give up quinoa. I said, you know, it's the last one. Let's try that, you know? And so yeah. years, okay? And wow. he would do it for, he did it for one month and boom, he was down to 300. Okay. Wow. One month. Okay. After Crazy. years and years and years. And of course he continued off of it and they, they went away. And so now wow. do I think quinoa is the primary cause of Hashimoto's? Of course I don't. Okay. <laughs> I just think it, I, it's unequivocally the trigger in him and there's wow. people somehow are still attached to oatmeal and they'll give up everything but oatmeal. And of course their thyroid antibodies are staying high and you go, and as you know, it's pretty true. Whenever somebody won't give up something like, you know, quinoa, it's the problem. Okay. It's like, yeah. I can't give up that guy. Yeah, he's probably not good for you, you know. <laughs> Seriously. You know, and, and so so it, it's been oatmeal, okay, or, or oats in general, I should say, you know. Um, yeah, so wow. now, of course, there's people where we go through it and they really do stick with it. And the trigger must be something other than the, the things within the paleo realm. And we often talk about moving on towards autoimmune protocol diets or keto diets and things and seeing if they have some metabolic improvements from there as well too. Mm -hmm. But there's a big four for treating Hashimoto's. Number one, paleo paleo slash primal lifestyle. Okay. Um, and so number two is correcting vitamin D. Okay. Um, vitamin D, especially in today's world of coronaviruses and things like that, is I got to emphasize that the right level for vitamin D in your bloodstream is 70 to 90, whatever level of vitamin D you need to correct to get to that level, which is usually five to 10,000 units a day, usually along with a synergistic nutrient known as vitamin K2, specifically MK7, usually about 180 micrograms a day. Um, and you get your level up to there. Why? Because vitamin D isn't a vitamin. It's my number one steroid anti-aging hormone. Okay, number one. Yeah. So, um, and if you correct vitamin D, you can do a lot to help with these things called T regulator cells. The T regulator cells are what help balance this immunity where um, the biggest issue of like what we were talking about with imbalanced immunity is, you know, having balanced immunity, not lower immunity as, as you would think with Hashimoto's, right? You want balanced mm -hmm. immunity. And the T regulator yeah cells are the primary um, T types of T cells responsible for balancing your immune response. And so the so everybody thinks in terms of immunosuppressant or immunobooster, and it's always about immunomodulation, helping your body right itself. Okay. Right. Um, so, so vitamin D, even though it's like not a vitamin, a steroid hormone is the best immunomodulator. Okay. Mm. And so because it can help you with whether it's autoimmune disease or in the prevention of cancer because it balances your immune system function. So paleo, vitamin D, um, selenium, selenium, uh, specifically a form known as methyl selenocysteine, um, 200 micrograms twice a day is so important for T4 to T3 conversion. So people who don't have Hashimoto's, the antibodies, they can benefit if they have this metabolic hypothyroidism the imbalance between reverse T3 and free T3. Selenium is the key nutrient in helping that, okay? Um, so 
Those are really the big three. Uh, many people ask me about this uh, the, a medicine known as low-dose naltrexone. If you covered that already in your other I podcast, naltrexone is very, very popular in my world. I learned about it in treating cancer. Um, mm. But low-dose naltrexone is a low-dose <laughs> of a medicine known as naltrexone. So it is a medicine. It's a prescription from doctors. Um, it is very, very useful in the world of cancer treatment, by the way, But it, because it is also a, an immunomodulator. And very briefly, it's a medicine you can use as an endorphin booster. These endorphins in your body aren't just feel-good hormones that we associate with exercise, or they actually act as neurotransmitters and other things, um, but they're very important immunomodulators as well. Okay, mm. so wow. very important for balancing immune function and dropping thyroid autoimmunity. So that's a, another tool in the toolbox, so to speak. I usually start with paleo plus D plus selenium, okay, um, and then add in low-dose naltrexone if we aren't getting responses. Does that always work? Of course, nothing always works, people. I, right. You know, you know some of these podcasts, and it's like, the, you're the only person who didn't respond to this. No, it's like, it, gosh, everybody. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a great thing to try, but no, uh, it's, does it work in everybody? Of course not, you know, and so. Definitely. Um, <laughs> That's, that's probably one of my biggest qualms in like the health and fitness world is I'm like, you, do you really work with people one-on-one -on -one? because you can't make claims like that, that are so broad. If you're actually working with people one-on-one, -on -one, like, you know, that the same thing isn't the answer for all human beings. It's so crazy. This mentality. Right. Because if you're, you know, if you're writing a, a real legitimate doc thing of a doctor, you know, like you would be having, you know, you really write about your failures too. And of course it wouldn't sell the book, right? You know, because <laughs> right. Well, they, like you were, you know, like you were, I recommended this diet to them and they completely freaked out, had a panic attack, uh, went to the hospital <laughs> right. and they, my advice, they're now in uh, the care of a psychiatrist because I've done that to people. Okay. I mean, uh, it wasn't my intention, but you know, we all try to do the best we can, but yeah. I, I, I once had, did a food allergy, uh, food sensitivity panel on a lady once. And, and I'm not kidding. She literally went home and had the first panic attack of her life because her, she already had enough stress in her life, which I hadn't clued into that, that doing that test was the straw and poof, she had a, the first panic attack of her life. And see, that's the kind of, and it's not wrong to do food sensitivity panels, people. I'm just saying, you know, right. it can enough stress to be and we end up, and by the way, I still see this lady. She, she forgave me. Mm -hmm. um, and we never use a test again. I just, it got put aside. We completely, that we're never using that test again because it was, it was just too much for her to take on, you know? And so yeah. and she's doing much better now. Um, and so, I, love, uh, I love that perspective. I think it's so important for people to hear it because, yeah. you know, people are like, just tell me what to do. Tell me exactly what to do. Or they want to come to me blind. I've never met them a day in my life. And they're like, tell me exactly how many calories I need. And I just, I'm right. like, dude, I have no baseline yet. Like we got to see, we got to play. Like you'd be shocked. I could work with somebody who's 250 pounds and they can't eat more than 1700 calories a day without gaining weight or I can work with somebody who's 130 pounds and they lose weight on 2,100 calories. Like there's a lot of factors going into that. So like, it's right. important, I think, for people to hear this and understand that like, you gotta do some self-experimentation and some practice and some trial and error until you find the right answers for you. Right, because yeah. that's why I like, you know, even though I've studied so many systems of medicine, it's like, like nobody knows enough to write a book. And I know that's not true. And it's one of my own hangups. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, because really always, I'm not kidding. You always feel like you need to know more. It's like one of the most humbling aspects about learning is mm -hmm. how 
overwhelmed you should be at how little you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but I couldn't, you know, middle path medicine, come to Dr. Forsman. He doesn't know a thing, which is yeah. actually true. Um, you know, because which is reality, what makes you so great, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's true because if you're hungry and open, you can right. learn so much more versus being like, nope, I know exactly what you need. You need horse pee. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, question for you. One more question on, on thyroid function. Like usually, you know, as soon as somebody comes to me with hypothyroidism, I'm like, so like, how bad are your gut issues? <laughs> right. Like, and so can you speak on that a little bit with gut issues and what you've experienced with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's? It's a great point. Cause it, you know, natural pet in, in naturopathic medicine and everybody, I'm an MD. Um, actually lots of people call me their naturopath, even though I'm not a naturopath. <laughs> uh, they're, um, so, um, actually most of the ER doctors in my area think I'm a naturopath and not an MD because of the way I treat people. Um, <laughs> I think that's a compliment. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, um, but there's a basic saying in, in natural medicine is you got to sleep, you got to poop. Okay. Meaning, and so meaning if the sleep schedule isn't taken care of and they're not sleeping, they never regenerate. So you got to deal with that. So those are the kinds of questions you should ask of almost anybody, no matter what the problem is, because most people, and I promise I'll get to the GI tract, but they've been so used to having insomnia, they don't even bring it up with you. And it's right. like one problems. Okay. But they, you know, that old saying familiarity breeds contempt. So they don't even bring up that they've had this long tan. So I've, I've never slept. So of course I didn't bring up with you because right. they about it almost, you know, and so, so you have to ask them about what their sleeping patterns are usually. And same thing goes with like the constipation thing. That's usually a bigger one than diarrhea. Um, but you know, I haven't had a bowel movement on my own without an enema for, for like 15 years, you know, yeah, that's a problem. Um, and then, you know, just seriously within the last two weeks, I saw a lady who's, uh, um, it was only has a bowel movement every three days. And she went to the GI doctor and said, oh, that's normal for some people. And it's not normal for anybody. Okay. You know, and so, um, so please everybody, the gastroenterologists don't understand. Now it's okay. She was of an, an age that she should have gotten a screening colonoscopy anyways. I do recommend screening colonoscopies after the age of 50, by the way, earlier, if you have a family history, et cetera. But the screening colonoscopy is just kind of looking at things and making sure you don't have polyps or mm -hmm. cancer things and almost nothing to do with constipation. And so the gut of poop thing really means I got to digest actually. Okay. So you really need to know how they do from, 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 you know, a heartburn down to stomach upset, down to gas and bloating, and of course to bowel movements as well too. So, and because if you don't digest, which means you're not um, absorbing the nutrients, you can't make you. Okay. And if you don't detoxify, you're going to get sick. Okay. Yep. So yeah. It's really important that that in the world of people who have autoimmune disease is this leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability syndrome a huge issue, unequivocal, mm -hmm. yes, okay? So is the, the dreaded SIBO, the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, and so, yes, you really actually have to start with people um, sometimes just healing the gut first because no matter what you try to do because you're trying to get things in through their gastrointestinal tract until you heal the gut, yep. you don't have a chance. Okay. And mm -hmm. so there's a classic functional medicine uh, program called the four hour program. The four hour program is just to remove, replace, re-inoculate, repair. Okay. Um, and so, and it's just a kind of a nice little thing like the, if you've ever, you're a trainer. So I'm sure everybody's heard the acronym RICE. If you have a sprained ankle, you do rest, ice, compression, elevation, right? So, mm -hmm. and nobody argues you should do all four. I mean, you really. And so, well, when you have a sprained intestine, so to speak, meaning it's not
not working well. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have to think of it the same way because it really never gets to rest. There's always fluids coming down at your eating. So you yep. don't really get to rest intestines. So once you've kind of messed things up, and that could be an antibiotic, it could be a birth control pill. Um, yep. A gentleman I saw uh, yesterday, okay, he's been on um, prednisone for seven years straight now for a skin condition, okay? And lots of stress, lots of other things going on. And I, and I told him, if you didn't have a leaky gut before this, you got one now, okay? Yep. So, and he went, I really think I had one beforehand. And I go, yeah, based on your history, I think you did too. But you know, either way, it's 100% certain. Should I be tested for leaky gut? And I go, there's 100% certainty that you have that. Let's start treating it right now, okay? You Because yeah. um, why order a test if you already know what's going on? Because he has yeah. to. Um, every person who takes chronic non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, even the non-steroidals, I'm talking about ibuprofen, the leaves out there, everybody, 100% of people, if you stay on it for more than a week, you've got leaky gut syndrome period. Okay. If you stay on proton pump inhibitors, the Prilosex Nexiums that are all over the counter, okay, you will have leaky gut syndrome. Okay. So, so does almost everybody have this increased intestinal permeability? You know, again, leaky gut syndrome doesn't sound very technical. So you can say, you know, increased or intestinal hyperpermeability, it means the same thing. (laughs) You don't have to get all fancy about it, okay? A heart attack isn't really a good term, but you know what I mean, you know? So so leaky gut is a good term, okay? It's a, you know, there's a leakage across where the tight junctions should be holding stuff out and out of your body. So that's why when we talk about why is it so important to cut grains out of your diet? And the answer is 100% of people, if they eat like two pieces of bread, you can find endotoxin in their bloodstream. Everybody, this is college students, okay? Meaning that you will get a leaky gut just from eating the glutens. That's it, okay? Endotoxin, when I was in medical school, if you found endotoxin in the bloodstream, it means they're probably gonna die. Now, I wanna be clear, that's not true. You can eat two pieces of bread and not die. Um, <laughs> but uh, And you can find much lower levels of endotoxin than you could 30 plus years ago, folks. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm dating myself here, but anyways, and so, um, but but that's why grains are so toxic to the GI tract. That's why we have to get them out of people's diets. And as we talk about it, in this world where the pandemic and self quarantining are more people eating comfort foods, including these, you know, uh, cookies and whatever. And right. you don't. It, there's no reason for guilt or blame or shame, people. It's just you try to get across have one really good cookie and we'll count on your GI tract is strong enough to deal with it. Okay. Yeah. A bag of chips Ahoy and it's come on, it's not a fear fight, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I love what you, I love what you said about allowing it to rest too. You know, that's why I'm such a fan of fasting. Well, I'm a fan of fasting for a lot of reasons, but to me, it's a big giant thank you to your digestive tract. It's like, you know what? I'm going to be uncomfortable for like a little bit. Thank you for all you do every day, all day. I'm going to let you heal and regenerate for just a second. Right. And I know you're a fan of fasting, obviously, and I am too, by the way. And so, um, and there's, of course, prolonged fasts that are more about spiritual practices and times in silence. And there's, you know, metabolic fasting for helping with the GI tract. How many people do we see? They say, I only feel good when I stop eating, you know? And that means, by the way, that they don't have a healthy GI tract, you Mm -hmm. know? And so Mm -hmm. so that's what you should let them know. And so, so this for our program, and just one thing I want to get across to people, the first R is to remove. You remove toxins from your diet and you also remove stress from eating, okay? So most people are eating in front of their TV, in front of news programs or with their cell phones and they're in fight or flight mode. Fight or flight mode is the fight or flight response, which means sympathetic, okay? And in sympathetic mode, you're literally taking 
the blood flow away from your digestive tract, okay, and shuttling it to the muscles and to the brain, which is what the flight or fight or flight response is supposed to do. So please honor the eating process because what's called the cephalic phase of digestion, which is the brain phase, cephalic phase, can be responsible for up to 40% of your acid production, 40% of your um, your uh, pancreatic secretions. Wow. So. So it's a profound part that if you don't allow yourself to go into parasympathetic, you can go into relax just by sitting and blessing your food or saying a prayer. Or Mm -hmm. you know what? Candlelight is a wonderful thing because it allows you to go right into parasympathetic as well. Use your dining table for something other than the kids' games, Um, (laughs) meaning eat there, sorry. Um, And honor the process of eating. It's such a powerful thing that if you can take away stress from eating and now allow blood flow to go to your digestive tract, because folks, it's not a fair fight. You have digestive problems already, and then you're going to turn off your digestive tract when you throw food in. I mean, come on. Totally. Ask for it. And of course, usually when we're kids, we can get away with anything, right? You know, so, oh, 2 a.m., let's have pizza and beer and, you know, whatever. And and that's what abuses our GI tract, of course. But, um, you know, and so, uh, but, uh, so yes, when you're talking about this, it's so important for everybody to realize I could have developed some autoimmunity, remember, without guilt, blame, or shame, just a recognition, a responsibility, the ability to bond in this moment um, and say, wow, I should really honor this digestive process of mine. And yeah. yes, so, so, and I've had a supplement store for over 20 years now. If somebody comes in and says that supplement changed my life, it's almost always digestive enzymes. Seriously. Really? Okay. Wow. I'm glad to hear uh, that. That's numero that I only have three things my clients take and that's, that's one of them. So I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> the number one thing people will say because when I have a, a, somebody comes to me and they say, I'm taking enzymes and I'm not sure if they're working, I say, they're not. <laughs> because the people, you know, I mean, you know if digestive enzymes work. And whether that's brain fog after eating, whether that's, you know, burping, yeah. bloating, you know, heartburn, all the other things that you can get with that, improving your digestive capacity when you put food in makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. Yeah. And once healed the GI tract, many people go from needing digestive enzymes for every single meal, no matter what they eat, to just when they go out to eat, you know, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. or tri-tip or, you know, something like that, you know, and so yeah. um, they eventually figure out that they don't need it as much because they've healed their GI tract. And so, so digestive enzymes, I'm a big fan of probiotics and or fermented foods. Okay. And so, mm-hmm. um, and so, and then sometimes you need to do things to repair the GI tract. I use glutamine and aloe vera yeah. and and licorice and other things. So go through a healing route for your GI tract if you Definitely. have any problems. And that includes any symptoms. Uh, if you say, I eat food and I get tired, I get a brain fog, I get a headache. That's a digestive problem, not a head problem. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's circling back in still to autoimmunity. I mean, it's, it's estimated that what, like 80% of your immune function starts in your gut, right? right. So but I mean, 80% of the lymphatic system is around your GI tract. Exactly. Yeah. So it's huge. It's everything. Who was it? Hippocrates said like all disease begins in the gut in like 500 BC or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. The Hippocratic physicians. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're a little, we're a little behind, you know, it's like, we forgot that for a little bit for a second. It's so central. That part is the standard gastroenterologists of today. And I'm just, this is coming from another MD. The gastroenterologists used to be the smartest docs. I mean, they loved figuring things out. Okay. Now Mm -hmm. it's that little practice where all they care about is procedures and endoscopies and things, and everybody gets put on basically either Prilosec for their heartburn, which 
Prilosec is just a proton pump inhibitor, a powerful antacid, or metamucil for their pooping, um, or maybe Miralax if the Miralax representative has been in. <laughs> Sorry, you know, it just depends on what drug rep has been in their office. And they get mm-hmm. things that have nothing to do with treating things. And they don't seem to understand anymore that how important digestion is and how to help support digestion, which of course is such a powerful thing, whether you're talking about making your body or detoxifying, it's it's like so, so important. So yes, that's a huge part in all, almost any medical illness, by the way. Okay. And not just autoimmune disease and not just, of course, hypothyroidism. Yeah. Um, Let's, let's go on to If you don't mind, like you were talking before we started, we were talking about like anxiety and depression and regards to the gut. You know, I had a, um, it was a guy I was dating actually, he was, had, had gut issues. He actually was really, really sad. He had been, you know, through a divorce and he was like really, really low before he met me. And he's over and he's like, Hey, can I have some Tums? And I was like, do you have any Tums? And I was like, Oh no, we don't do Tums. I was like, what, exactly. what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Oh yeah, my stomach. And I, so I started to teach him about, you know, serotonin and being formed in the gut and the importance of gut health for mental health. And wow, like what a difference that made for him. But the, the, the teaching is just, Hey, like just put some Tums on that crap, you know, just take the Metamucil, take the, instead of getting at the root of it. So can you speak a little bit on, uh, I mean, I know this isn't like your, probably your major thing, but I know that you know about the relation with mental health and gut health. Can you speak on that a little bit? Right. Well, you know, if you look at um, a good reference is David Perlmutter's work. Uh, He wrote Brain Brain Make. Let's kind of go into both of these things. And it is an interesting thing that a neurologist actually admits that the GI tract is important because the neurologists of the world, which is David Perlmutter, they're, they're, the high and mighty doctors in the medical profession, they, they're, they're above the gut, okay? I just Because the brain is above the gut. And they don't even think that for a neurologist to admit that the GI tract plays a role in brain health is profound, everybody. And they, I don't think people get how profound this is. Um, so, because it is not part of the teachings there. The yeah. neurologists are clean, pristine. Uh, those poop things have nothing to do with them, but it really does. And so, and, and, so, and it goes into a lot of the... Your your lymphatic system, and yes, you produce. Most people have heard of gut instinct, the second brain that we make is many of the neurotransmitters we associate with the brain in the gut, even more when it comes to serotonin. Okay, so so if you don't balance the GI tract, can you help people with their neurotransmitter imbalances in their brain? And the answer is no. Okay, and so um, so you know, and this goes into, and it also partly I think is because of this loss of sense of self by people because the world is the last 40 years of greed is good and some other things have taken people away from authentic self which is part of the reason why when you talk about silence and fasting is to kind of bring us uh i think you talked with abel james you did a year without uh internet uh and things like that i just listened to that one on the uh and so um and most people aren't willing to do a year without internet and as you guys pointed out let's start with six hours maybe or something like that you know um but overloaded with these things and i think so many people have lost their way um and so and in terms of tuning into their own bodies because once again our symptoms are our teachers people i don't want anybody to have constipation but you don't just reach for a laxative okay and say i've treated it because that's not the answer Sometimes you need a laxative, so everybody understands that if you're really backed up, sometimes you need some help. That's not the issue. Um, but, you know, and same thing goes, the occasional reaching for Tums, I don't have any in my house either, by the way, but um, but the occasional reaching for Tums because you, you, you ate the wrong food and you got some symptoms, that, that I don't care about. It's when you have ongoing symptoms. Chronic, yeah. 
And that's why I talk about Western medicine has been, it's so dangerous because it's so successful. Okay. And what I mean by that yeah. is it's successful at symptom relief and allowing you to ignore your symptoms. Okay. And then you have go from your symptoms warning you of an imbalance and then you don't get it and says, well, I guess I have to throw you a disease now. And you missed the entire message. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so if you have any symptom, gastrointestinal or otherwise, you're supposed to sit down and tune in and answer yourself. Now I do like the internet. I do like Google to some degree. <laughs> um, but, but the way to heal yourself is to ask yourself questions and journal a little bit and go into silence. Cause I think more people, they, they know what they need to do. They sometimes just don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Getting fat adapted and all these other things. I don't want to have to give up, you know, whatever bagels, you know, and because of an emotional attachment, but if, if once they let go of it, then it's gone. And then they're, yeah. then they're, then they, they're self-reliant. And then I'm sure you teach this in your coaching is you know, the, their person is their own best healer or the best person to make a decision about you exercise or how you eat you give them tools, but eventually they figure this all out. And theoretically, they just shouldn't need you anymore. Okay. That's always yes, my goal. Have them not definitely. Need you. And so, um, and so, but in terms of I, the anxiety and depression of the world, it's a huge part of just getting people to shut out all the news medias and social medias and all the things. We're so overwhelmed neurophysiologically. Get out into nature. Go out on walks. Uh, you know, see more sunsets and sunrises. And yep. there's so much beauty in the world that we seem to be taken away from. And then we settle ourselves. That actually settles our GI tract. I want to be clear about that too, by the way. Um, and so, and then do some things that are balancing. And whether that's herbal medicine or some homeopathics, do some things to get yourself back in balance. Because when we talk about you know treating the Hashimoto's, remember, so many people who come to me through Elle's book, actually, they think they're still hypothyroid and they actually have an adrenal issue or an iron issue or an inflammation issue. It's they nobody looked for all the other things. So that's the other thing that happens to a doctor, by the way, is you get caught up in thinking you know what's wrong. And once I, I tell everybody, the biggest mistakes I've made is when I knew what was going on. <laughs> Meaning, yeah. after I knew what it was, I kept cubbyholing every piece of information somehow into that. Like hypothyroidism, as everybody knows, the symptoms are very vague, including constipation, okay? Right. And so in, in somebody can be constipated, you can correct their hypothyroidism. Guess what? they're still constipated. You know why? Because actually the hypothyroidism really wasn't the reason. It could have been hydration, lack of exercise, other mineral. I mean, we could go on and on about it, but you know, and so, um, so, and of course, correcting hypothyroidism usually helps with constipation. I'm not saying different, but, um, but many people are just constipated for the good old American reason, the standard American diet, right? Yeah. You know, so, uh, so no, they're not overweight because of hypothyroidism. So remember, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we try to cubbyhole every symptom into that. You know, it's like, uh, of course, low morning temperature can be hypothyroidism. But guess what, people? It's not always hypothyroidism. Yeah. I wish it were. I wish my job was that easy, okay? I yeah. Mean, yeah. Oh, you have a low morning temperature. Oh, 100% chance you have hypothyroidism. Turns out, folks, that's not true. Um, there's other conditions that can cause it, a whole bunch of them, by the way. But, you know, so, so it's, a, of course, a thing to look at. I'm not saying yeah. don't look at your, your temperatures and things. So, so, you know, so it's very important for people to, to realize that, that the, I think it's primarily the stress factors that are affecting so much about lack of self-awareness because, you know, the, the classic things I tell everybody is, is to, to, you know, it's this awareness during eating. So eat a Big Mac as a 
meditation. Okay. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing to just tell mm-hmm. anybody who eats processed things like Big Macs. They're still out there. I, I, you know, I don't know but if you know that, but they really are. I have and seen so, the signs. <laughs> out of McDonald's away from all the noise and nonsense and you sit in a quiet room and open that wrapper in front of you and and just let the burger talk to you and you slowly bring it to your mouth and you feel it i mean the bread is 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 stale the lettuce is wilted the sauce is not special that is not identifiable as a meat by anybody any part of your body so hundreds of billions of billions of people served in every single moment there is the message from your food telling you not to eat it isn't that amazing yeah and i love what you're saying here because what i'm hearing from you is um building a relationship with your body and like all of the relationships i always tell my clients this i'm like you want a good relationship with your kids or your spouse or your parents or whoever it is there has to be mutual respect and honesty and hearing like you have to hear it so when our body's saying Oh my gosh, I really, really hate it when you eat tons of gluten and you're like, deal with it because I'm doing it. Like, what kind of relationship is that? And how do you get a better relationship? You turn off the phone, you turn off the TV, mm-hmm. there's some silence and you start to talk to each other. Early on, there's a little uncomfort, discomfort there because, gosh, I, I don't want to have to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a hard, um, you know, and so, and, but then when you start to communicate and you, your eyes meet, then you realize, wow, that person's just another reflection of me. And then you start talking. You talk with your food too. And that's what I try to get across to people is that your food is talking to you every moment. Somehow hundreds of billions of Big Macs have been served and every single person had all the information necessary to not eat it, but they ate it anyways. I was hungry. I was in a rush. They start using the excuses, right? And we do the same thing in our own relationships. Oh, why don't we communicate better? I'm hungry. I'm in a rush. Um, you know, and yep, I, I've got yep. to watch my favorite TV show or whatever it is, you know. And yep. so, so, so the the perceived external world, meaning your food supply, creating your perceived internal world, your body. It, it's just this beautiful, magical process that we can just learn to love. And yes, sometimes it means learning to learn, you know, love different foods, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, and so because we grew up, you know, I, when I did a paleo diet with this lady once and she said, life isn't worth living without bagels, you know, and of course I'm sitting there thinking, what a sad statement, you know? And so, um, mm-hmm. but, but you, when somebody says that you don't take away their bagels. Okay. So, so we took out every other source of of grain in their diet and they're diabetic, a lot of other issues and weights and things like that. And by the way, it took about two and a half years and she gave up bagels. Okay. Because she realized actually that it was a perception that that life wasn't worth living without bagels. But she had to come to that on her own. And as she cut out all the other you know, kind of crap out of her diet, the, the signal from the bing, the bagel just pinged a little clearer, you know? Um, and so, and that's what happens to us. Everybody is once you go back and you, you allow it to just come by, you realize that there was a perception of bagels that you were in love with. And so, yeah. um, so the, it's, but you have to come to it on your own. Okay. Having your doctor or your coach force it out of you just doesn't work. Okay. And so, um, we can tell you, cause that's why the example I give the chocolate chip cookies the only value to it is your enjoyment of it. So please eat it in full revelry if that's what you're going to do, okay? Right. Have a really good one. Make it a good one, okay? Yep. Yep. Eat it slowly, savor it, chew it thoroughly. Um, the 
power of that is the endorphins and the cannabinoids and all the things that are being released from it. To say that it's not good for you actually isn't entirely true, okay? It's not nutritious, okay? That that part I'm not arguing with. It's not a good nutrient quality. However, it could be good for you from your satisfaction that comes from it. And if it's just one chocolate chip cookie every few weeks, who cares? I mean, you got to trust your GI tract to handle that much of a burden. Okay, as far as I'm concerned, you know, and so, and I'm not saying you have to eat them. Just the idea is to do this without any guilt or blame or shame. And yes. too often, um, even I, when I recommend paleo, I, uh, you know, um, I saw this couple once, and they had um, they had this great response to this paleo diet, right? But we're in a movie theater, and and they usually were so happy to see me, and 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 they were like avoiding me, and I'm like, okay, and, and I ran into them in the in the bathroom, and it's like, yeah, I just have to say this: we went to Italy, and you ruined our vacation, and it was like wow, okay, that's giving me a lot of power, okay, you know? Yes. So we couldn't eat the, the pizza on trees. We couldn't eat the things. And like, it's like, damn, dude, you know? And so it, That's amazing. It, it, you know, seriously, this is a true story. And, you know, and so I, I don't want that kind of power in people's life, you know, because I, I don't want to be mad if they see me in the movie theater, you know? Um, but, but you know, in the end, I want to be, I still see these people and they're really happy that they have a paleo diet, but, they know they can lighten up a little bit too. And if you eat the street yeah. pizza in, in Italy somewhere and it makes you sick, please don't eat it. Okay. I mean, this is common sense too. Okay. So, and it's your body's way of saying this isn't a good food for you. And whether that was pizza or blueberries, remember if you eat blueberries and you feel badly, probably should stay away from those for a while, you know? And so it's just common sense. You know, and so I can't wait for my clients to listen to this because I'm, I feel extremely supported right now. I'll put it that way. And these are all the same things I teach because, you know, I call it a Black Friday mentality with food. We've all seen those videos on Black Friday of people, all of a sudden there's this perceived scarcity. And so what do people do? They act crazy and they start throwing things into their cart they don't even need. And they run over people in the process. And we get like that with food when we can't just enjoy the cookie because, oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to have this. And I'm only going to be able to have this one. And I want like five billion of them instead of just being like, oh my gosh, I'm so enjoying this cookie. And I tell my, I tell my clients to have a prayer of thanks after they eat as well. So you, you literally feel more full when you say, oh my gosh, thank you. Mm, You feel satisfied. Exactly. (laughs) And, and there is health value. It's like the same chemicals are released when you enjoy good music or appreciate the art, et cetera. And that's the other thing you try when we talk a lot to people about all senses for healing is there's so many ways to fulfill ourselves that, gosh, I miss ice cream after night. How about going out and going for a walk in nature and you find that you're so satisfied all of a sudden you don't need ice cream at, at night. That wasn't true. So it's, and as you know, it's so important to give people something else to do because otherwise they're sitting at home going, damn it, Dr. Forsman took away my ice cream. I hate right. you know? um, or, or pizza or whatever they think it is yeah. that I took away. I'm not trying to take any away. I'm trying to have them consciously make healthier choices for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they realize how much better they feel when they eventually stop eating the bagels or the ice cream all the time. That's the, the thing, you know? And so, um, and, and as you know, it's so important. So like, well, how much do you listen to music? And so, and, and, and I always lead off with Sweet Child of Mine, which is one of my favorite songs. So, you know, it, basically, because everybody thinks it's only Mozart that's healing. That's just not true. You can, you can heal through Garth Brooks as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Clearly, I'm not a country guy, but anyways. Um, but, uh, so, uh, but, but if you start looking at the what you're releasing at those times, it's the very same pleasure chemicals that you would have gotten through the cookie. Okay, um, and so 
And then you realize that what I really was missing was some sense of pleasure that, uh, that I wanted at that moment. Um, and then you find there's so many other ways of doing it through art expression, through appreciation of art. And, and there's so many ways to get what you thought you wanted in that food substance. Okay. Um, and so, um, and then when you start treating that way, the person finds that they find joy in things and they're seeking that out. And then naturally the craving for the cookie extinguishes itself. Okay. Or the bagel or the, yeah, I'm, bread. So, I'm um, so aligned with that. I always tell my clients, get busy living, like yeah. quit worrying about food so much, like fuel with what you need and then go live, go live, get out, go rock climb, go adventure, go meet somebody, go put yourself on the line, go skateboard exactly. on your kid's right. skateboard at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> you know, and if you're creative, go go paint again, go write poetry again, do these other things. Yeah, I usually ask people, what is it you gave up as a kid because you couldn't make a living at it? And, yeah. and you know, it's like yeah. I used to love making, you know, clouds into animals. Go out and do more cloud animals, you know, yeah. or whatever it is, you know, it's poetry. Exactly. It's usually something artistic that kind of got squashed out of you yep. because you couldn't make a living at it. I'm sure most of you guys understand this one. Um, and you don't have to make a living at it. Actually, I have a, yeah. a guy in my practice who does make a living playing a guitar, and we've been talking about stress and meditation. And eventually, you know what he does? He plays cello for meditation, okay? He just oh. loses himself. And that's his practice of meditation is he came to it on his own because he wasn't going to do these other things we were talking about. And the cello is just for him and his wife, not for, not for business, okay? Because, you know, the artistic expression is such a beautiful way of just settling yourself, satisfying yourself. Because anybody who's learned in music or in poetry, you just get lost in it, right? So to speak, right? You're before you know it, you've read through a beautiful, you know, Maya Angelou or whatever you're reading at the time, and mm -hmm. so and you didn't need any of that the food because the really what people think they get out getting out of the food is some sense of pleasure, and it's it's like telling people not to think of pink elephants, telling them not to eat ice cream is just not that great a piece of advice. Saying right. hey, you fulfill yourself in so many other ways because yeah. we all understand that, you know? And so yeah, most people yeah. like said, you know, the, they found in uh, India, what was the best way form of birth control? And the answer was putting TVs in people's homes, right? That was the number one way, not condoms, not birth control pills. It was putting TVs in there. So, so, wow. so you turn off the TV and before you know it, you're looking into each other's eyes and you never know what might happen. And it's <laughs> going to be more fun than cookies. Okay. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good ways of getting out there, you know? And so, uh, when we just tune into life, like you were saying, right. Um, and so, and by the way, when that happens, cause kind of going back, we were talking about the GI tract, there's so many things that you'll settle your gut, your gut instinct was telling you it was imbalanced because it just wanted something else. And this is where you as the healer realized what I was missing was the connection with my spouse, my connection in nature, et cetera. Yep. And you, you don't overthink it. And that's the other thing is just, you know, it yeah. comes to you, you do it, you know? And so, and then you realize, ah, that's what I was missing. And then Absolutely. you naturally, some of the food things just kind of go away. It really is true. And so, so true. Uh, so, yeah. And so, and this healing the gut thing, but remember lots of people do have significant GI problems and they need help from doctors. Uh, this four hour program is a wonderful thing in terms of a healing technique and getting you to a place where you can really just start healing yourself. And then you find, Hey, I just need some enzymes when I eat certain things and I can do better. I do better when I take probiotics or I don't. Remember, it's not, it's, you can figure these things out because you start tuning into them and you become your own best physician because the basis of Western medicine is to take the locus of control away from you, give it to your doctor and you think, 
doctor, I can't heal without, a, without this. I've been on call at 3 a.m. as a physician, and the person calls and says they have heartburn. I am not kidding, at 3 a.m., okay? And I said, what happened when you took something like Melanta? And they go, well, I've been, I didn't want to take it without talking to a doctor. And it's like, I'm pretty pissed, by the way, because you woke me up at 3 a.m. And usually I'm not, I'm pretty abrupt at that time. It's like, <laughs> take some freaking Melanta and don't call me again until the morning. Um, <laughs> sorry, but, you know, some people, yeah. it's like that, okay? It's like, you know, and... Uh, yeah, it, you, when you're working up 3 a.m., you go straight to Melanta, by the way. You're not going to tell them about natural healing things. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, very clear. Go straight to drugs because I want to get back. <laughs> It, you kind of hit on something big there though. It's it's really a level of caring, you know, it takes right. more caring for you to say, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, how are yeah. your relationships? Are you connected with nature? Have you explored your talents? Um, you know, it yeah. takes more caring to do that than horse pee pills. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that's the, the funny thing, which is, you know, we just, um, it, Western medicine is really so simple and like the gentleman I was saying yesterday, that I saw yesterday was on the prednisone. And they go, oh, I'm surprised the, the, your Stanford doctor didn't try you on this medicine, then this medicine. Oh, they did already. And, and they goes, how did you know that? And it goes, it's not very specialized. It's algorithmic. Okay. You yeah. know, and so, yeah. um, and so we have to go through a long deep process to help him get off of his medicine. I want to be clear. That's not going to be an easy cure. Okay. And so, mm-hmm. and you don't prednisone, that would be bad. Okay. So, so it's going to be in, and he, there's so much work he's going to have to be willing to do. So is he going to get better? I really sincerely don't know because it's, it's the healing process really is going to be him. And yeah. so, and giving, he hadn't thought of before. I mean, that's important too. But, um, but when people think I'm a good doctor, it's just because they listened to some advice, found a new tool, used it. It became their own tool. And eventually, I should have no association with that tool anymore. It's just them, you know? And so, yeah. so when yeah. I learned yoga, I learned yoga, especially after I had hurt my back way, way, way back. And that has nothing to do with why I do yoga every day. It says, because I feel better when I do it. Okay. Right. With back to my yoga teachers from the past and everything else, but they would agree. And they don't need their, to see that teacher anymore. I'm supposed to be just doing my own stuff, you know? And so yeah. find all these things. And that's why... You know, so for instance, uh, I'm sure you do this with your clients. Having the morning daily routine, I think, is yep. such an important thing for people. You know, get up and you know, and and it can be your own routine, but some, some version of meditations and yogas and exercises and setting your intentions for the day. Have some time for it, people. And if you don't do it at all, you can start with 15 minutes of that, um, and then 30 minutes, and build into it because you can allow your life to to to. to to um, develop your life in such a way where you can take these practices on for yourself. And by the way, this is especially true for women is you guys are so busy taking care of everybody else. Um, now I joke with some people about my meditation classes. It's usually in, almost entirely women. Um, and usually they're racing into my, my parking lot <laughs> to try yeah. to get, because you know, they've been so busy raising the kids and doing the, the, the food and raising the husband and everything else. And then they want to come meditate. And it's like, Seriously, it would be like one other thing for them to fail at in their life, you know. Mm-hmm. So I tell them, don't meditate. You need to change your life so you have the time to meditate, you know. And mm-hmm. so when we do stress management, the first thing I work with, especially true for women, is the stress unloading thing. Value your life enough where you say, hey, I'm worthy to stop and smell the roses and take time for myself. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I can start with you taking more time with a bath at night or something else like that. And just start with something that you historically like. And then you start building in these things. So stress unloading first, stress relieving, which is exercise second, 
and then you get into meditative practices. But that's a part of a developed thing in terms of your lifestyle where you start to honor yourself more and more and more. Okay. And so, um, you, the, and I really am not kidding about these meditation classes. They're usually overstressed women who know that they're overstressed and they, and adding in a meditation practice that they have no time for is just me. Okay. I just want to be clear about that. It's important. I, I'm a, I've been a meditator for a long, long time, but it's, I've set my life up where I can still do it now. And I, I have, I have a two-year-old at home. Has it been a successful meditation practice the last couple of years? And the answer is no, because there's been some schedule changes and some other types of things. I make it a priority, but he's the number one priority right now. Um, and so if he gets up in the morning to visit things and I don't get enough sleep, guess what I'm doing in the morning instead of meditating? I'm sleeping. Okay. Right. That's the priority. And what am I doing some mornings is he wakes up early and I'm taking care of him and I'm not meditating because that's the priority. And so, um, you know, so, so you just, you honor yourself in all of these things. And mm -hmm. so just the next moment you see if you can meditate the next evening or that yeah. next morning and things. So this kindness to ourselves, yeah. so just for your audience, is a condition called self-critical perfectionism. 99% of the people who have it are women. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think this goes, you know, very much into the difference between sex and gender is this, you know, we're learning more and more that sex is defined at birth in the XX and XY, but gender is a completely different mm -hmm. subject. This whole idea that um, self-critical perfectionism comes on the X the two X chromosomes, it's not true. Mm -hmm. It's a acculturation, especially towards giving into doing certain things. Um, and the problem with this is self-critical perfectionism associated with high performance at work, very good levels of and school and work, very poor attitude about themselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. as you, you never meet whatever standard and that mental pattern is why meditation is so important because the main stressor for most people in their life themselves, totally. you know, yeah. um, and so, and this, once you realize who you are, taking that pressure of, of being perfect anymore, you know, is off of you, you know? And so, yeah. um, and so, because that's, that's a beautiful thing to give to yourself. Okay. And it doesn't mean you don't care about your body and care about your food. It just means right. you have to be so critical of yourself. And that leads to such a level of depression usually, by the way. So that's the thing. Anxiety and depression are much more common in women who have self-critical perfectionism. And so, and they, on some level, they see it works for them because they, they, they get, you know, high rankings at work and they get more pay raises. Um, you know, uh, everybody says, you look beautiful today and all these, uh, they get so many things, but they don't feel good about themselves because it's just a never ending cycle. And that's where you, you start to have to step back and go, wow, I don't feel so good about myself. What's going on? And then you start to balance the doingness in your life with the beingness in your life. And so, um, and you honor yourself to just take more time for you. And that includes some time for exercise and more time for food and food preparation yep. and less time on all the other things we've been talking about. And you find you're so much happier. Um, so and so true. you might not get as many things to done on a to-do list. Yep. And then you realize, wow, those to-do lists, a lot of things on there really weren't that important. Okay. Totally. And I'm not about them, but it just, they, a lot of the things you put on there were just kind of busy things, you know? And so, um, so, so, so many things you can do in terms of healing here, folks, is just make sure you understand that when you see a doctor, they're not necessarily there to support all these things that we're talking about. Um, and many people mm -hmm. go to doctor for almost anything they have a, a bump somewhere and they go see the doctor and they're so nervous and the doctor thinks they have to give you a drug or something to because right. that's 
that's the underlying assumption is you're there for a drug. And I, if you don't leave here without a drug, I'm, I haven't done my job. And so, yeah, exactly. um, so, so most of the times we're, we're seeing in the world today, especially so many people who were going to the emergency room before this pandemic, they never needed to go there. So mm-hmm. everybody's so worried about higher mortalities for some other things. And there is some issues, but uh, most of the people who are going to the ERs, they really didn't need to go there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm, hope, I'm hoping this will bring about people more realizing, wow, I can take a lot of care of a lot of things myself, you know, yeah. and not realizing that going to the doctor is, is really when you want a drug or surgery, you should be thinking of seeing the doctor. Okay. Um, but, you know, and if that's not what you're looking for, I probably shouldn't go see my doctor. And then of course the argument you're going to make is, well, he's covered under my insurance, he or she. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what a bad large, uh, argument that one is. Okay. Because mm-hmm. why would I go see to somebody just because of they're covered by my insurance um, when they're going to give me something I don't want. Okay. You know, yeah. and so, and then you get into a power play with your doctor. You didn't take the drug they wanted and then they get mad at you. And so it's a, it's a really tough system out there. folks. Um, and I do hope that like this critical time in, in the country, um, people will take on this self-care thing that you're, and, and, and I do tell people this, by the way, with the coaching, which is, of course, we could all exercise without a coach. And then you ask them and you keep seeing, are you exercising? No. Are you exercising? No. It's like, well, you know, your process is not working. Okay. You know, yes, you could exercise without a coach. You aren't. So let's go get you one. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Could you without, you know, by going online to figure you absolutely could. And every time you see them, they're not doing it. Guess what? You need a coach in this area, you know? And so mm-hmm. getting people to help you is a really good thing, but getting mm-hmm. nutrition advice comes from nutritionists, really yeah. not dietitians. Cause they tend to go into some dietary advice that we don't recommend. Okay. Like the standard American diet stuff. Okay. Um, so learn about that or get references or go on the primal blueprint and find people who do these types of things as well too, or check in on your website. Um, but get a coach who can work with you and, and know who you are if you're not exercising. And if you have a, a wonderful exercise routine on your own, awesome. Okay. Yeah. You know, but if you're not, then get somebody to help you. Right. You know, um, I had this 95 year old guy in my practice and it was funny. He had just gotten a coach and he had had six months of training. He goes, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Okay, ninety-five. Okay, now you you um, his two previous wives are passed now, so I'm sure they would have argued that you know that this wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that they were the best <laughs> thing. Sort <laughs> of two other things that would have been better than this coaching experience, but according to him, no. Um, so, <laughs> I love it so, so much. much better. He had so much more energy. And by the way, he's somebody who was naturally an exerciser who just couldn't get you know after ninety-five years finally needed some help. You know. Yeah. Um, um, so it was a beautiful thing, huh? You know, and so, uh, you know, so people, and especially guys sometimes aren't willing to ask for advice. That's another yeah. kind of general weaknesses. Uh, um, and so if you need help, it's a, it's the, the essence of humanity is we are social organisms that need help, you know? And so, um, right. go out, ask for it, you know? And so, absolutely. I, I love so much. I love so much what you're saying as a whole. And I can tell I'm like, I really wish that there could just be a different name. Like I really wish instead of being called a doctor, you could just be called a healer and we could just specify this because truly that's what I'm hearing from you is that you are looking for healing for people, no matter what it takes, whether it's spiritual and yoga or relationships or food or sure, medicine, Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, like it doesn't matter. Let's just get the person healed. And I appreciate that so much much. I'm wondering, I know you're out in California, but like, how can people, how can people find you? Is it the best way to go through your website? How could they get access to you? Do they have to live locally or fly out? Yeah. Well, 
things have changed a little bit in the times recently, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing more, believe it or not, I'm doing more Zoom meetings. Um, but, nice, but right on. More things with people. Still people come to see me because I still, there's a connection with a physician. Most of my intuition with people, I'm better, so much better in person than yeah. I am since I just, and I know there's, but I don't claim to be a medical intuitive. So I, I just, I just, I get more intuitive insights just when I see people. Okay. Yeah. I prefer the first visit to be with me. Um, by the way, my, my website is www.middlepathmedicine.com. Okay. Um, we see people really all across the world now. I have patients from Korea to Germany to France to Saudi Arabia to, um, and so I think I'm sometimes in some ways better known outside of my area actually. Yeah. Um, and so, because my area is a little more conservative and my, I'm not necessarily considered so conservative. Um, and so, uh, um, but, uh, so yes. Uh, and so they can reach out to you there and then schedule yeah. a zoom then, call from anywhere. Yes. And we can do from anywhere. So we do more where the first that used to say the first visit had to be in person, but, and all the people I just talked about from those countries did come to see me wow, family, cool. family from Korea. I said, you know, the next time you really don't have to come and through the interpreter, by the way, they said, no, we, we really like the beaches here. So <laughs> right on. Awesome. So, hey, I like it. So, you know, there's some motivated people in the world because when they get, the, and that's a really good case, by the way, of uh, using um, a non-traditional use of a medicine to get dramatic results. And so, so remember there is a time and a place for medicines, by the way, because yeah. that family really responded to a, a novel use of a medicine. And so, Amazing. so it's uh, player role too. Okay. And so uh, yeah. thyroid, Barely talked about desiccated thyroids, variations on T4s and T3s, and treating hypothyroidism. Listening to the person, not just the lab test. We're ordering the right lab test, of course, but right. um, and then looking for all the other things. So find a functional medicine doctor who does what I, you know, what I do locally and or through the, the website. There's a lot of information on the website too. Okay, in terms mm-hmm. of like that for the digestive difficulties of the four-hour program and how to look at digestion and something different than what your gastroenterologist will tell you, you know? Um, and, and yes, it really is about the healing thing is to realize everybody realizes, you know, it, it can call me healer, but we're all healers and you were all yeah. supposed to be our yep. own healers. And so right. um, the classic joke about the doctors, we're supposed to sit on the sidelines and tell a few good jokes while you heal yourself. And that's it. Okay. It. And so, so you don't take yourself too seriously because what I was telling you earlier is true. People who think I'm good really just kind of took some advice and healed themselves. Okay. Yes, absolutely. People I love think it. I just didn't listen to anything and they don't feel any better. And then so, true. um, so, uh, so, uh, so for some people I'm great. And for some people I suck, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's just, it's up to them. It's up to them, really. It is up to them. And yeah. So, that is so, so powerful, I think, for so many people because they, they do, they want someone to do it for them. Hey, give me your, you know, hey, can I have a training plan? And I'm like, mm, yeah, I mean, I could give it to you for free, but I know you're not going to do it. Right. <laughs> so it's, it really is, it really is up to to the person I, you know, I've, I'm very open about plant medicines on my, on my podcast. And I've heard shamans say, um, we've seen people come through and do one session of ayahuasca and change their whole life. And we've seen people do nonstop ayahuasca their entire life and never change. Right. So it is that choice. It's not necessarily just the medicine. It's also the choice of the person to make the hard changes in order to heal themselves. So, um, I think we'll, I think we'll go ahead and close it there guys. So it's middle path medicine. Yes. Middle path Exactly. Thank yes. you. Thank um, you so much. Thank you so much for being awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today. I know there was so much there for I, everyone to think about. So I so I, appreciate it. And now I know I spun off in different directions. I love I, it. You know, 
necessarily go where you wanted me to, but you know, hey, you know, uh, so if you Thank want you. me back sometime, yes. I can, I can actually be focused on occasion, you know. I would love to have you back and talk about cholesterol. We didn't even get to cholesterol. And we start, I thought about it with vitamin D. I was like, we got to go cholesterol with vitamin D, but we'll have to have you back. And I'm sure everyone would love to. So if you have, if you have the time, we would love to hear more about that on another episode. I definitely know a lot about that one too. So anyways. All right. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inside Out Health Podcast. I hope this episode served as inspiration and something that you needed to hear in your life. If you have a friend or family member that you think would benefit from this episode, please share it with them. And also please subscribe. I have so many more amazing guests coming. I have just been so gifted and honored to meet so many incredible health professionals in my career, and I cannot wait to share their messages with you guys. So please subscribe. And if you could be so kind as to rate my show, I would really appreciate it. This This podcast is honestly an intuitive call to me to help spread goodness to the world. And so if you guys can help me do that, I would really appreciate it. If you want more info on this guest, pop over to my website, check out my podcast section, and you can get links to everything we talked about in the show um, and find out more about this guest and what, where you can go from here. Make sure you're also following me on Instagram. Uh, That is my most active platform. You can find me at coach Tara Garrison. You can also find me on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. Everything is coach Tara Garrison across the board. And then yeah, if you want to send me a message, guys and let me know other guests or other topics you want to hear on the show please let me know i am here to serve you so i would love to hear from you would love your feedback on the show and if you share any of these episodes please tag me on social media it's coach tara garrison 